Happy New Year, Annabelle Crabb. Happy New Year to you, Lee Sales. Should um, we paint a picture for yeah, people let's. of where we are? So um, we're staying uh, at St Albans in a place uh, called the Courthouse, which is lovely and has no phone coverage. No it phone coverage It is the most blissful thing you can possibly imagine. St Albans is on the Hawkesbury River. Yeah. Uh, so it's about two hours, I guess, uh, yeah. west, northwest of Sydney. Yeah, so it's sort of like being in the secret river, only without mobile phones. Yeah. <laughs> or Tim mentioned. <laughs> or Tim, or Tim mentioned. Um, <laughs> um, no, it's absolutely beautiful. In fact, have a listen to the serenity. Yeah. Can you hear those birds squawking in the Yesterday, um, we saw, well, I did, you didn't, a um, yellow-tailed co- uh, cockatoo, which are quite rare to see in the wild. And they are like dinosaurs. They're like big, craggy birds. So mm. amazing. Now, I know you won't give a flying... <laughs> there is amazing wildlife around here. Yep. I saw a black snake last time. Oh, how restful. Yeah. You love snakes. Well, I'm constantly stressing that because I'm staying in a little hut uh, with my boys separate to the main house where Crab and all of our other friends are. She's too good for... everybody and um i just constantly live in fear that a snake's going to get in there because the door the, the toilet's outdoors and so the door to get out to the toilet is kind of needs yeah. the bottom to be shaved yes. so it's stuck open so i keep thinking i'm going to get into bed one night and find a snake in my bed but that's right look that's realistic <laughs> i think but it's interesting because i mean um it's nice to spend a bit of time with you because we don't really yes. ever spend time together to be honest like yeah. mostly um what you hear on the podcast is the is the time we spend together <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I gotta say, uh, look, the gloss is going off. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving today, and I, I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, it's really fun because I think there's about eleven kids here, mm. and seven, eight, I can't remember adults. Um, and it's fantastic because it's kind of counterintuitive that the more kids you put into the mix, the easier it mm-hmm, actually is mm-hmm. because they all play nonstop and entertain each other. And so it's really fantastic. So I actually get to sit around and do tons of reading and we take it in turns for somebody to cook every night. And um, that's Last always night really was fun. Lee Sales Ghetto Ghetto, very yeah, good. It was really good. Hetty McKinnon's recipe, yeah. Uh, yes, out of community. So, mm. yeah, so anyway, we're having a lovely time, but we just thought, well, what the heck, we might as well record a podcast while we're sitting Actually, here. what we really thought was I'm about to go to Melbourne um, in an N95 mask and um, uh, and be involved in a highly intensive um, shoot that is going to allow me no time to come up for air, uh, let alone podcast, and you're going back to work, so that'll be it for I you. Am, so this is the only time we're going to have a chance. So sorry about Before the- I'm going back to work, I'm going to the Australian Open, which I will have already been at by the time uh, this podcast goes out, so I'm looking quite forward to that. She's twitching with excitement because <laughs> she's all about the sports. Um, the only thing that really um, I've heard you, um, you know, express apprehension or excitement about vis-a-vis the tennis is, Crab, do you think I'll be allowed to wear this hat because um, I'm tall and I've got a hat? Like, are people going to get pissed off with me? <laughs> yeah. I'm I said no. I think it's okay to wear a hat to the tennis. Well, I've been, having a, like a, you know, I've been looking when they do the cutaways of the crowds to see because obviously I'm very subconscious being a little freckly ginger. Um, I just don't want to have a hat that's got too broad a brim that's going to piss off the person sitting behind TV me. TV loose sales. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, hogging the view. <laughs> Exactly. Anyway. Okay, so hit me. We're going to do our summer pod like we always do, which is Crab Summer of Culture, and then next episode will be mine. Calling it a summer of culture, (laughs) I think, would be over-egging the pudding slightly. But one thing that I did do, um, I went to South Australia for a couple of weeks, um, uh, was read. Like, I read an absolute metric boop ton of books because, I don't know, like, um, I was in a regional pocket for much of the time, 
didn't really get hooked into, you know, series or anything like that, didn't watch a lot of television, did go and see um, Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man movie, in a drive-in movie outdoor cinema because the one at Jeps Cross in Adelaide is um, allegedly closing, although it looks like one of those kind of rug sale outfits, you know, closing soon, and so all these people flood in, and then, is it closing? I don't know. It seemed to be doing very well the night that I went, but... um, Geez, that's a tosh, shocking movie. I just couldn't even watch it. Like, oh, really? Well, I don't know. I'm, I know that they have their absolute rusted on fans, but the Marvel film um, franchise is not for me. I just think I couldn't even really distinguish much of a plot. It just seemed to be shreds of plot hanging there, stringing together various fight scenes which were indistinguishable one from the next. Ugh, like That sounds... Wow. I actually, we were in a ute, which is the best way to go to a drive-in because um, you pile a swag on the back and everyone can, you know, you back up to the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I climbed into the cab and fell asleep. That's oh, <laughs> that's how good it was. It was, it was actually lovely. As you know, I love an action film, but it's got to have a plot and preferably a bit of smart-ass well, comedy As aspect. Jeremy said with this one, the plot seemed to be that, you know, what's his name, the principal character, Peter... Um, Spider-Man. Peter, no, Peter, what's his what's his Earth name? Peter Porter. Yeah. Peter Porter seemed to be upset about not getting into MIT or something and um, <laughs> because everybody knew he was Spider-Man. And so his the main plot was, you know, repair his reputation so he could get himself and his friends into college. So like did, was, he, did he well, – Wow, that's really it's bizarre. Really, did he, so he got, he got rejected from MIT because war. he was Spider-Man. Correct. Well, that's discriminatory. Well, Don't they have an affirmative view. let's get more superheroes in kind of program? Look, to, you know, I, a quota? Plot, pathetic as it was, did not cover that <laughs> as a detail. I mean, there was no administrative appeals wow. tribunal. There was nothing – anyway, it was stupid. Wow. And I oh, don't it's hard being a superhero. Sure, particularly by the, you know, 18th version of the movie where you've got to do something different. And the, like, the high drama is will he or will he not get into MIT. Anyway, annoying, and I don't want to waste further time talking about it. Good, all right, hit Honestly. me with something that you liked. Okay, so I reckon, like, the most interesting book that I read um, was a book called I Love You But I've Chosen Darkness. And it's kind of like a, it's a memoir, but it reads a bit like a novel. And it's by a writer called Claire Vay Watkins, V-A-Y-E, American writer, lives in California. And I have not read her first book, which was a like sort of smash hit from a thrilling new voice writer. You know, she was, I think, in her late 20s when she published a novel called Gold Fame Citrus that was um, fantastically well received. And then... She seems to have then put out a second book that was a book of short stories that was a book of maybe a bit less excitingly received. And then um, now, now she's written this memoir, which is an account of her having her first child, having a bit of a breakdown, having pretty severe postnatal depression, and then kind of going on this weird sort of wander where she leaves her husband and her family and goes back to where she was born and she's got this completely bizarre and interesting family history where her dad, who's now dead, um, was briefly a, men- a, a member of the Manson gang. Mm-hmm. This is all true. And um, it's kind of, it's something pretty confronting, but it's it's quite a memoir unlike any that I've read before. And it's quite gripping and bizarre. And I re- really, like, I, it really seized me. Mm, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, okay. But um, uh, I also read one that I think you've 
read, I know that you've read because I told you to read it, and for once you did. <laughs> um, and it's called The Plot. Yes. By Jean Hans Corlett. Sorry, Jean or Jean, I don't know um, which you are. but um, She wrote The Undoing, which was that thing that ah, got turned into the Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. I actually have read a book by her before. Oh, okay. Because I've read that. And, oh, and that was okay. one of those, The Undoing was one of those things where I read the book and it's kind of like a thriller and, you know, sort of based in Manhattan and you're a bit kind of like, oh, that's how people live in Manhattan, is it? And then I sort of forgot about it because it wasn't the sort of book that you then think about no. for years. Um, and then when that series came on with um, with uh, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, I started watching it and I'm like, I feel like I know what's going to happen in this. Am I psychic? And I thought, no, you idiot. You've uh, you've already read that book. It happened to me too with Meg Wallitzer and that book about the husband that wins the Booker Prize. And oh um, yeah, yeah, Prize yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, but this is a really I love this book because the, the it's kind of like a, a literary comedy, right? Like so, yeah. The the central character is this. Again, a writer who had, like, spectacular success with his first novel and then has written nothing of note since and is in this sort of acid bath of self-loathing. He's working as a creative writing tutor bitterly at this sort of New England writing school that's sort of barely, you know, barely creditable. And he's sort of irritably shepherding a new flock of terrible writers through, you know, through his hangover. And there's this particularly annoying young man... <laughs> who's just bragging that, like, he doesn't really need to be here because he's got the greatest plot in the world and it's the sort of plot that could be, you know, it, it's impossible to ruin even by a bad writer, you know, and he's sort of like, oh, you're full of shit. And then the student tells him the plot. Which is not revealed to you as the reader. No. Yeah. And what follows is, um, you know, a couple of pages of just the most perfect comic writing. I was writing. crying yeah. with laughter. And I think if you, particularly because you and I write, some of the ways of thinking about or describing how writers think and behave was just so funny. Like there was a bit where he said something like, um, you know, I, I, I noticed that Mary Ellen had horrible hair. Then I, no, sorry, I thought Mary Ellen had horrible hair. Then I noticed that I had thought Mary Ellen had horrible hair. I noticed myself noticing. Noticed myself and noticing. Hating myself. <laughs> but um, I thought it was, interestingly, the, the genre that I thought it was most like was horror. And yeah. it reminds me a bit, it wasn't as good, but it reminded me a bit of Misery by Stephen King. And funnily enough, I noticed later that Stephen King had done the cover blurb on oh, it. Right. And because it fills me with that sense of dread that, yeah. you know, not, not like a gory horror novel, but like a novel like Misery where it's that kind of just tense psychological thing um and i guess also it was uh, without spoiling the plot there are some parallels to misery in that yeah. the chief character is a writer um and you know there's a woman involved as well wow i don't want to go into any more detail for fear of but i did think that it dropped off about halfway through it did it and did, yeah. i to me, I thought that was because once you've set up as the premise that you have the greatest plot in the history of the world, when you do the reveal to the reader, what even the before I knew it, I just thought, oh, this is going to be really hard to live up to the hype. For I thought, I thought it did okay. And I thought um, I, I absolutely it ticked the LPT boxes. It was funny. It was, um, 
you know, original. <laughs> yeah, I definitely um, and, uh, and the plot, when revealed, is a pretty good plot. Like it's, um, you know, it, it, you don't sort of think, well, this is just risible or anything. No, um, no, you don't feel it, ripped off. And I felt like, oh, I don't know, after last year, I really wanted to just have novels that I could steam through like a bucket of KFC. Not that yeah. I would because I don't eat KFC, but like, you know, I just felt like I just need fuel, I need destruction, so I need summer reads and I really, yeah, I'm so funny munched through that. <laughs> that you raised KFC because I've got a KFC anecdote to share in the next podcast. Um, yeah, okay, the plot. I so. love that. Like, how often would you get a KFC Never. trigger and now you're prudently <laughs> putting it off till later? I mean, like the first instance of self-control ever being deployed around KFC. Um, anyway, so, um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was, um, uh, yeah, I thought it didn't. The, the, the comedy around that interaction was the best part. Oh, totally, Absolutely. yeah. The and that, the, the portrait second. of the annoying student was superb. Like, that, oh, yeah. I was just laughing and laughing because he was so annoying. Um, it was great. Yeah. Um, so I also read a book called The Latinist, which came out actually while I was on holiday and I bought it because I read a review in the Wall Street Journal to which I've taken out a, um, a subscription because 10 bucks, amazing. Mm. Amazing deal on the moment. God, it's um, unbelievable. Right? Uh, anyway, that's by way of a side, but um, uh, also it means that I um, no longer have to steal the writing of my friend um, Sebastian Smith, which is um, another plus. Um, sorry, I said that um, I waited till there was a 10 buck deal on subscribing <laughs> and not just getting one free article every whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, the Latinist, um, it was, it was, I was interested in it because it was pitched as, um, similar to, God, what was that book years ago? Um, Donna Tartt's book, uh, The Secret History. Oh, yeah. Which I really loved when I was, you know, at uni, I remember taking a day off to stay home and read it and then was very deflated many years later when the book show, um, described it as, you know, one of the worst books of all time that everybody loved. And I was like, oh, oh God, well. I like I, The Secret History. Don't I feel put back in my spot. But um, anyway, uh, it is um, about, it's set in um, a university and uh, among classics scholars and a woman who is uh, on the up and up is um, looking for a placement and is relying on a um, recommendation from her professor to whom she's very, very close and has been her mentor. And then she discovers indirectly that the recommendation letter that he's written for her is so cold and kind of weird that it's essentially poisoned the well oh. of her chances. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, that um, sounds good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, so um, speaking of nice Do and grippy. Speaking of Donna Tart, mm. I read um, a book that you talked about on the pod last year called Love and Virtue by oh, yeah. Diana Reed, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. which is about a university mm. um, student that's kind of, I guess it's a kind of coming of age thing in university. Um, it was interesting. You said at the, at the time you described it as like Sally Rooney with but more happens. <laughs> I actually thought it was more like Donna Tart. Oh, that was the okay. note that I wrote yeah, down, right. but I thought it was more like Donna Tart. I loved it. I thought it was such a good book. Yeah, it just kind of, I don't know, it, it kept me kind of definitely sort of chugging along. It was a little bit like a lonely girl is a dangerous thing. Yeah, definitely it was a, there are parallels. But there. I thought more emotional maturity and colour in the writing. It, was, it really... Um, 
it really sparkled, I thought. Yeah. It was um I was um, going to be interested the... to read her next book as well. Oh, come on, mate. She's only just popped one out. <laughs> come on, Diana. Uh, come on, next Diana. Next book, hurry up. No, she's due for a long slump and some serious self-loathing before she poops out <laughs> and the second student novel. claiming that he's got the greatest plot of all time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what else did I... Uh, no, I wrote, read a couple that I just absolutely steamed through and I'll just mention briefly. One um, by Taylor Jenkins-Reed called Malibu Rising. It's like a tale of a family of californian surfers who you know the the dad's dead uh, no the dad's not dead the dad is a um is a is a sort of small scale screen idol it's sort of set in the 80s i think and um the mum's dead but the dad abandoned the family when the kids were very young the eldest sister has sort of brought them all up after their mother died the mother was an alcoholic so it's all very tough um and uh it's about like an extraordinary thing that happens within the family mm. that sort of wrenches the siblings apart and it's all set over the course of a new year's eve party oh that, okay yeah that hosted by the sister the title's unfortunate because it's putting me in mind of yeah. like a jackie collins yeah, novel, but what you've described sounds actually really great look it is um it's it's a terrific kind of summer page turner um family intrigue sort of thing but yeah okay i think just as, as soon as you've got malibu in the title it just sounds like a drink yeah, a pot boiler. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And to be fair, like it's, it is a bit of a summer pot boiler, but like I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it took me about half a day. Nothing to read. wrong with a summer pot boiler, right? Exactly. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I've also read another book by Chandler Baker, who you can recall. <laughs> I, oh yeah, yeah I, hi Chandler. If you're listening, the we medieval uh, antecedents of her name. Uh, I feel very bad about that. Sorry, Chandler. She's written a very good book, uh, um, novel called The Husbands, which is about this woman who is um, pretty shitty with her husband because she works full-time and so does her husband, but she feels that she's carrying more of the burden of their children. She's pregnant with a second child and she's noticing that she does all of the, you know, school lunches and remembering the play dates and doing all of that um, than her husband does and she's secretly boiling with her age about it. And they're looking for a new house because they're, you know, in a city... Um, apartment is getting too small and she they go and have a look at a house in this sort of gated community where all of the husbands are suspiciously perfect <laughs> like they're all kind of like oh yes I'm uh, I must rush I've got to get dinner into the oven and uh, I've got a load of washing on because my wife's coming home from um, Stepford Husbands yeah full, it's full Stepford Husbands so it's quite intriguing and oh that good sounds fun. good too yeah, 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 you yeah, some crackers fun. yeah yeah I how did you how did you identify what you were going to read over I've summer? got a I've got a uh, I've got a technique mm-hmm. um, I look at the I uh, look at best summer reads and if you look at um, best summer reads or best beach reads um, we're trying to ignore the um, the interruption that's manifested <laughs> one of my children has one of Sales's children luckily it's here. the quieter better behaved one <laughs> say hello Daniel hi <laughs> alright are you going to hang around or do you want something you can hang around if you want okay okay hang around um, so uh, so the thing about looking up searching up best summer reads is that you then get the northern summer reads from six months ago so oh. you get the american and um uk mid-year right. reads that people have been recommending in those newspapers right so you can normally like there'll normally be a like a, a nice crunchy top 20 somewhere and that's where i'll find usually the sort of like 
number one hit that I've never heard of, like, yeah. you know, which is a constant failing of mine. Yeah. So, and it gives me exactly what I'm looking for usually, which is a book that is not complete trash, like there's literary merit to it, but it's not, not the sort of thing that's going to make the reading list of the 12 great cultures, but, you yeah. know, will see me through a It'll day be, or two of yeah. downtime or on the plane or whatever. Perfect. So, um, I, uh, um, oh, I, read, I read a book called The Push um, by Ashley Andrain, which is sort of spooky one. Um, it's it's actually um, heavy, heavy notes of um, we we don't talk about Kevin nor oh, whatever. Yeah. That. yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's about you we know need to talk a devil child. Yeah, sorry, kid, it's not you. Um, <laughs> I'm not mentioning that. Just you're here, um, but this time it's a girl child. It's super spooky, super suspenseful, lots of twisty bits, and uh, quite enjoyed that. Um, steamed through it. Um, I uh, just finished this actually quite amazing book called Leave the World Behind by a writer called Ruman Alam. I think he writes for, I think he's a bit of a um, New Yorker-y type of person. Um, such a good book, super spooky, very rattling. It's um, about a uh, young couple, a couple with sort of, you know, early teenage children um who live in Manhattan, both very busy, busy, busy. They've booked an Airbnb holiday on Long Island um, and it's this lovely holiday house with a pool. There's no phone coverage. They're just sort of there to buy expensive food and unwind and be bougie. And um, on, I think, their first night there, there's a knock at the door and they're both super rattled and scared. They open it up and it's an elderly black couple, very well-to-do, who it turns out own the house and they've come to the house because um, there's been this massive power outage in New York and they couldn't think of how, where else to go except their second house on Long Island because they live on the 14th floor of their building and the lift's out so they can't make it up the stairs. So they, um, they show up and there is this huge mystery about what's happening in the world, what's caused the blackout. There is just this beautifully articulated tension between the two couples. So that is race-based. It's kind of a little bit class-based as well because um, the elderly couple are much richer and posher than the young couple. But there's this uneasiness and each couple wishes the other weren't there. Like, (laughs) why are these people in my house is what the elderly couple are thinking. And the young couple are kind of like, well, we've paid for this house. And there's this scene where the the older man is like, well, here's some cash. I'm paying you, you know, I'm I'm, um, compensating you for our presence here. I'm paying you half of the money that you paid to rent this house since we've come back and moved in. And then becomes apparent that what's happening in the wider world is actually a lot scarier than um, than uh, anyone suspects and then they start to suspect it. But it's just, it's it's completely unearthly. It's really original. It's beautifully realised. And the because it, um, it kind of tells the story from each perspective in turn, including the teenage boy, and the 11 or so year old girl, it's a multi-generational reflection on kind of the end of the world and um, also just a rattling realisation of the sort of things that you take for granted in an overprivileged life as well. I mm. absolutely recommend it. It's okay. kind of creepy. Um, but Sounds um, good though. Yeah, yeah. 
and I just re reached on my Kindle the 70% mark of, <clears throat> drum roll please, Olive Kittredge. Oh, last! Elizabeth Stroud. How many years have I been telling you? To, probably a decade I've yeah, been telling you to read look, that. You know, I just thought I'd, I'd, I've been stringing you along. And <laughs> look, the annoying thing is that I've read, I, I'm finding that it's completely different from what I thought it would oh, be. Oh, how interesting. Right. Yeah, so I think. I think as I haven't watched the TV show either because okay. that's my second well, that's massive a very up yours. special treat yeah. coming up for you because it's well, a brilliantly realised right. so, interpretation of it. So the thing is, I think I thought that it was a linear story, no. you know, and um, I just it is almost perfect. It's yeah, just this it sort is. of gentle perusal of all of these separate yet interlinked lives and I really Oliver's presence in it is sometimes you know minimal but she's just like such a great character oh yeah it's capable of such brutality and meanness but also such kindness in a really kind of brusque way um and just the unpicking of these really common but difficult to write or talk about emotions in humans I just yeah the resentments and the bitternesses and the surprising kindness I just yeah it's it's absolutely spectacular it reminds me a little bit of some of the great Raymond Carver stories oh now my noise yeah is now here. oh wow we've got two from two all of sales as children like how big is this like area there's a pool there's like spiders there's there's cliffs to drop off there's you know and the one little corner we've come to. there's a jail that you can lock each other into this place uh, is an old jail, like it's an old courthouse. And so the toilet, like the bathrooms, are the old jail cells. So you literally can lock your children in a sort of <laughs> steel-plated box where they've got water and toilet facilities, but they can't get out. In fact, why, why didn't we do that before we started recording? Hard to say. The, th the thing is, if, if the window's open, I can just reach Oh, my, really? Uh, yeah. Wow. My arm is Amazing um, that your criminal mind should divide a way now to listen, get out we're recording of an episode of Chat 10, so... Hello, Chatters. A bit, of, a bit of space. Hello, Chatters. Hello, Chatters. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so it's... I also loved the kind of um, device of that, where, as you say, sometimes she's kind of just on the periphery yeah. of something. Um, and so that sense of – because often a book is – and, you know, I guess the same way we view our own lives, which is, you know, there's a central protagonist and things yep. rotate around that person. Yep. But actually, you know, in some people's lives, I'm a very peripheral character and you're a peripheral character yep. and in some people's lives you're a central key character. And so sort of taking that reality and then putting it into a novel I thought was great – I read over summer her, I think it's her latest novel, it's called O. William. Oh, yep, yep, I've seen that. Which is about her, it's a, it's a relationship between a woman and her ex-husband. They've oh, both been okay. married um, again. Anyway, it's it's just more of the same beautiful writing, beautifully observed characters. And there's more Olive, isn't there? Like there's a second Yeah, there's volume. Olive again. Um, and is that good or is it a shark jumper? Brilliant. Everything she writes is absolutely brilliant. And the, so, the television show is so good, I can't even tell you. Right. It's the best interpretation since Out of Green Gables with Megan Follows. Oh, it's absolutely oh, I love superb. That. I yeah. love that. I tried to find that the other day and I couldn't. Um, look, I um, – uh, so remind me, somebody wonderful plays Olive. Um, Is it Frances McDormand? Oh, yeah. Perfect, yeah. right. Um, but what it reminded me of was those incredible Raymond Carver stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean – Shortcuts, which is essentially the Robert Altman's mm. um, 
television version of those short stories, uh, te- movie version, is absolutely one of my favourite films of all time. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, my God. It is. So did you read those Raymond Carver yeah. short stories? Um, they're incredible, like these sort of human moments that become almost holy, even though they're set in like really kind of down at heel suburbs and small towns. Um, and I wonder if, not having seen Olive Kittredge, the series, whether it achieves the same thing that Altman does with shortcuts, which is this sort of really graceful sort of bringing together of all of these little disparate stories. It's just like there's a sort of a shared rhythm and a, in the end you're left with the same thing that you're left with um, at the end of Raymond Carver's stories and I think at the end of, well, not that I'm at the end yet, but this is what you get from the Olive Kittredge stories, is just this sense of the the turning of the wheels of life and the way yeah. that, you know, life goes on even when unthinkable things happen or when there are kind of grinding sadnesses that never go away. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it does. Oh, oh well, so that's read that story. Yeah. And then, yeah, O. Williams excellent as well. Oh, okay. So. Well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch that um, Anne of Green Gables adaptation again as well. I'm going to make a better um, stab at finding it because I was trying to find it for my daughter to watch the Anne of Green Gables with Negan Follows. Um, it's, it's amazing when a really, really beloved book and, and it, that's got a very mm. kind of um, memorable and unique character mm is adapted well and I mean I just thought Megan Follows was mm. the perfect Anne. I knew about a thousand adolescent boys with a massive crush on <laughs> Megan Follows as well. Fair um, enough, I had a crush on it too. And yeah, Francis McDormand and actually everyone in, uh, I forget the name of the actor who plays Olive's husband, he, you'll definitely know him when you see him, he's yeah. a well-known actor. Um, he is so, Henry, the pharmacist, yeah. he is so good as well. Uh, the okay. son's great. Um, it's just, it's brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Well, as, as ever, when I do what you say and then it turns out to be a good idea. I'm bitter, but still, I'm still the better for it. Um, now, the other thing that I read that I know that you've read because you interviewed him was um, Crossroads. Oh, I've been waiting for you to right. get to this because yeah. I've enjoyed to hear what you think about it. That okay. is the very first book that I read uh, when I went on leave, actually. Okay. What did he you think? absolutely loved it. Yeah. Yep. Are you I a friends and fan? Have you liked his other stuff? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. I mean, um, I think he's a bit of a dick. Yeah, he, like he is. He, he was really rude but the one time I've interviewed him, which was when Freedom came out. Yeah. And so that's always put me off him because The Corrections is one of my yeah. favourite you know, novels. But, um, I, look, I loved it as well. I suspect Franzen's got a certain rhythm rhythm to his writing that you've kind of almost got to get your ear oh in. God, where's my dog going? Hey, pup! <whistles> Come here, you idiot. Don't go up there. God. You kind of got to get, it's got a certain rhythm that you have to get your brain into gear to kind of go with. I would say Puppy. for Crossroads, oh God. Cross, for Crossroads, you've got to be, if you, if you liked the corrections, if you liked his other stuff, you will like Crossroads. Yeah. It's it's very Franzany. It's Midwest family. Yep. Um, somebody told me though it's a tr- it's the first of a trilogy. Oh, far out. Okay. Yeah, which I didn't realise and I was glad I was told that because it did feel like it kind of ended yeah. a bit sort of oh yeah no, I can totally see that so it's about um this uh he's a he's a minister um in a what what faith are they they kind of um 
Is it? It's kind I can't of like, remember. Is it Baptist or something yeah, like that? It's yeah, a bit they've got a youth group. Yeah, there. Youth actually, they might not ever say what the denomination. Yeah. He, he was a Mennonite. He was raised a Mennonite, That's right, and yeah. then he's Ooh. gone to a less extreme kind of religion. Well, but I'm still, still that ring, mate. <laughs> just got Mennonite in there pretty early. Yeah. Um, and so, and he's he's sort of um, he's a bit of a sort of faded middle aged man, isn't yeah. he? Like he's. He's, you know, he's he's not even the top jockey at the at the no. church. There's been could have been something, the ladies. yeah. And he's sort of super handsome, a little bit faded. Still reckons he's got a bit of gallop in him, that sort of thing. Um, and there's been this split within the church where he used to sort of run the youth group, and now he's not engaged in it anymore. And the younger, more popular minister who now runs the youth group, he's not on speaking terms with, and you don't really know what's happened. You find out eventually, but there's this sort of tension, there's this a sense of disgrace that this guy's in disgrace. He's got um, four children, and it's really the rendering of the children that is the most impressive thing about the book. Oh, the wife too, I thought. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's similar to the corrections in that it takes, you've got this kind of, superficial world of the family and the way they interact with her and then each chapter is a deep dive into the kind of secret hidden life of each individual yeah. in the family and so in the same way that you know the correction cycles through the two parents and the three kids this keeps cycling through and it is because the littlest kid doesn't really have his own kind of yeah. developed character so it is again two parents That'll be and three two. kids That'll be so, two. exactly yeah no, I'm kind of bored. I know. Well, 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 try to be more entertaining, mate. <laughs> All why right. Don't you read a of, why don't you read a bit of Nat's what I reckon? We nearly finished um, this episode anyway. But, yeah, no, it was it was good. I'd say it, it's a big book. That's why I saved it for holidays yeah. as well. Oh, I'm glad to hear this more. Yeah. I really – the character of Becky, who's the daughter, who's this sort of spectacularly beautiful um, and oddly resolute character, she's really interesting because she's, she's popular in a way that her siblings are not – there's Perry, who's sort of like very troubled, super clever, and there's Clay, who's her best friend inside and outside the family, Becky's best friend. But there's a falling out with her and Clay um, halfway through the book, and Becky is this sort of, yeah, she's a really unusual child because she's more decisive and imperious than a pretty kind of 15-year-old yeah. girl, you know, would be. They're all think. interesting. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to fob um, your child off with um, reading a book with heaps of swears in it. Um, oh, God, that's another <laughs> child knocking on the window. Um, hard recommend, and that's what I reckon's new cookbook. Like, okay. so it's, um, you know, I love, and I know you do too, and that's what I reckon. And it's the most unusual cookbook because it's got all of his, you know, um, great recipes from his uh, little video efforts online. I dedicate this book to you, champion. On you for giving cooking a red-hot go. <laughs> so it's all of those um, popular recipes, end of days bolognese, me, myself and Guinness pie, straight to the pool room rissoles. <laughs> it's just ceviche on the beach, eh? <laughs> oh, that sounds good. <laughs> Knock on or fuck off, chilli, tomato, gnocchi. <laughs> anyway, and all of the, um, all of the uh, methods in the recipes are actually cartoon like it's like a graphic novel oh cool so there's all the recipe ingredients and then you can sort of watch him make it in graphic novel form it's actually it's a really cool book okay. and if you're okay with just really quite epically shocking language um you know <laughs> go for it um you're giving me the full wind up why is that 35 minutes is that why 
Well, just because kids keep interrupting too, and this one's tooth's about to fall out. That's oh, disgusting. No. I hate a super loose tooth. Does that just tooth. make you love oh. the child a bit less? I find it does. <laughs> I, you know, until it's gone, I can't. Yeah. You think the tooth fairy would come to St Albans? It's pretty out of the way. No, you so. can't text her. I think so. No, I can't text her and let her mm. know. How would she even know it's out? Mm. Right. Um, I had a little bit of telly about that. Do you want to just n- not worry about it? Um, is it stuff you want to do a deep dive on, or do you want to just rip through? Wow, it? listen to it. <laughs> I just wanted to say I watched the last episode of The Morning Wars. Finally. Oh, yeah. It was stupid. That was so Just bad. look into the mirror and take one thing oh, off. It was stupid. It was so terrible. And it did something for me that I felt, actually the whole series did for something, something for me that I thought wouldn't be possible after the first series, was that it just made me super annoyed at Jennifer Aniston. I just was <laughs> like, stop it with the breathing. Oh. She just does this like, oh, 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 oh. Uh. back sore, <laughs> got covid Annoyed with your co-workers, <laughs> being cancelled. It's all just hyperventilation. It was That's not acting, love. I just was, She was so good in the first series. It was so shocking. What do you think? Okay. Um, it was so shocking. It was like they... Ugh. I just thought it was like they gave up halfway through or something. I just something wanted to punch them all it, in the it face. It was really strange. Like that went from a really quite compelling show to... Worse than, like, at a certain point I thought, oh, this is just turning into, like, Dynasty or Dallas or something like that. It's a real soapy. And then it went even worse. What about when they're suddenly in Italy as well? And I'm just thinking, sorry, did the Italian government pay for this? This is, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, sponsored like by. Yeah, or something. Right? I just, yeah. I mean, it was lovely, but what? Kind of weird. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Null puncte. Um, I'd, I'd love to know what my child's doing. Yeah, I know. Like, he's like, he's mum's busy. Door. I'm going to go and play with matches <laughs> in that wooden house. That's what's going on. I guarantee it. <laughs> All right, better sell off and fix that up. <laughs>